That's great news. We are recording. The Little River Band comes through. <laughs> um, thank you very much for your patience uh, with the technical difficulties, Laura. And thank you again for being on uh, on the podcast, Born to Rome, uh, coming at you from uh, – are you in Chicago still? I am in Chicago, yes. Right on. How is Chicago treating you? Chicago right now is really gray and rainy. It's been gray and rainy for the past two days. Um, I currently have a broken foot, so I, I haven't left my apartment in since November 9th or something like that. Um, and I've been homebound since then. And, uh, regardless, there's a stay at home advisory in effect, so they don't want you going anywhere. Um, if there's anywhere that's even open. So I don't know. Chicago's kind of a fucking drag, but so is pretty much how's Hamilton. I mean, pretty much everywhere is right. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's kind of alternating between sleet and snow and, uh, and absolutely, uh, thick fog. So it's, um, it's pretty ominous here. I got, I'm not going to lie. It's, uh, it's, it's, um, it's, it's kind of perfect weather, I think, to stay inside and, um, and try and, uh, work on all the hobbies that I said I was going to, uh, take up when I wasn't on tour and, uh, <laughs> Have you gotten all that Some of done, son? I have. Uh, I kind. I started painting, and that's been fun. Um, and uh, learning how to finger pick on the acoustic guitar, but um, that was uh, something that uh, I wanted to get around to doing. But um, yeah, other than that, just kind of just working on songs and um, and uh, learning to. Uh, uh, not let the plants die because there's no excuse now you know i'm home i can water them but still they keep dropping like flies i don't know uh i I always look for the plants that say like low light and minimal care they have to have a tag is that for me to buy them because i'm like i need cactuses in my life otherwise uh yeah thing is gonna die but i i've i've taken to uh having some house plants as well in uh this off time that's good. Anything, uh, anything delicate or more, more the, uh, the kind of desert, uh, variety that, uh, requires a little less attention. Yeah. It's all like Chinese evergreens, you know, <laughs> like low light, low, low water, low care, um, aloe plants, yeah. uh, stuff like that. Air plants. I'm obsessed with the idea lately of like surrounding myself with plants while I sleep and breathing as like pure of oxygen as I possibly can. Mm. Uh, I'm really yeah. into that idea. So I've been trying to create my own like personal little sanctuary uh, in that way. A little oasis. I like it. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I was, I was just mentioning before to you that I was moving and, uh, I was moving a couple cactuses and, uh, I kind of tripped and they both kind of stuck to my arms while I was moving them. So I'm, uh, I'm a little off the cactuses for the, for a second. I'm trying to find something that's a little less uh, painful, but, um, it seems to be the only thing that will let me love it. So, uh, <laughs> they are good my soaring friends, you know, <laughs> they are, um, so, um, 
I wanted to say first off, congratulations on uh, Stay Alive. It's fucking awesome. I Thank fucking you. love it so much. Thank it's, you very um, much. My uh, my pleasure. I, to me, it reminds me of um, I. You know, one of the reasons why I really love your music, Laura, is because it feels like a continuation of the great American folk tradition. Uh, you know, you've got. Um, uh, you really put me on to bands like the mountain goats when we were touring together. And I see, um, this album is such a, is such, as I said, a great continuation of that, of just short, no filler, just to the point, hard on your sleeve songs. Um, and I just, I really, really love it. And the, the, the songs that you have some kind of, um, electrical accompaniment, they kind of sound like, uh, this, uh, like eight bit, uh, uh, kind of video game music from the '80s. It's it's just an awesome record. I, I can't recommend it uh, highly enough. A- anybody that hasn't heard "Stay Alive" yet, it, it is fantastic. And uh, in particular, I really love uh, "Mountain Song." That one's the one that's um, that uh, I've been I've been blasting on repeat. Um, but I just wanted to ask you a couple questions about that in particular. So, when this whole thing really unraveled in in March or so. It, did you kind of sit down and start kind of plunking away on the acoustic and, and coming up with something to do with, in, in your free time that you suddenly had an abundance of, or did you have some of these songs lying around? Um, I had started writing them at like, as soon as I finished doing the last record I did, Batarat in 2018. So really they had been building over like two two and a half plus years or whatever. And we had been working towards an against me record um, and had been like, you know, in the studio a little bit January in the little, a little bit February, then March and then left on a tour. Um, So we had been working on songs, but we had like 30 plus songs that we were working through. Um, So, you know, these, it wasn't like there was already this against me record that was fully formed and we knew what we were going to do and we were just ready to record. And then this happened and then we just couldn't record. We were still kind of figuring out our way. Like a lot of these songs that work on the record, I think weren't working for us as band, uh, as a band. So I'm not sure they would have ever been against me songs is what I'm saying, but um, they existed. Mm. I had like an abundance of songs. So when this happened, you know, in March, like I came back and was just kind of stunned really for a good month, you know, as like, every tour started falling apart, you know, and we had to cancel the next thing and cancel the next thing. And it became more and more clear what this was, you know? And then like realizing that, you know, as far as making a record, we were at a standstill too, because no one lives in the same place. Like two two people in Against Me are in Florida, you know, Adam's in California, like um, three out of four of us are parents. No one felt comfortable traveling. So, you know, it's like, what do you do? I've got like 30 some odd songs. They're not really working with the band that great. I think there's still some good songs you know, are we not going to play together for a year, two years, you know, in two years, are we really going to want to come back after a plague and be like, Hey, everybody, let's jump back into those 35 songs. We weren't really jamming on, (laughs) you know, like that'll be great. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. But at this, so I was like caught in this juxtaposition of like, look, I realize this isn't working right now with the band. And also the universe is like, not going to let it happen. But at the same time, I've done a lot of work as a songwriter here. And I mean, in 30 plus songs, I want to think that there's there's a decent album. Like I can pull an album out of this. And realizing then 
also once I started looking at it that way, like a lot of the songs just worked better in that arrangement, just broken down and not trying to build more. Cause like, you, you know, you said they're, they're short and they, they are, but a lot of the times with writing songs for the band, you know, I'll think in the mindset of like trying to highlight other people in the band of like, okay, well we need an intro or a reintro or a bridge. So there can be a guitar solo, you know, or something like that. When you don't have that option, when it's just you and acoustic guitar, you don't have to write that part. So you just like, that's it. It's just the lyrics and the chords, you, you know? Right yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, well, that kind of brings me to my next question when you, you, and you kind of already answered it there, but, um, when you're, I mean, because of the way that your career works now and you have a number of avenues available to you and when you're writing at this point now, do you kind of say, do you kind of put on your against me hat and say, okay, well, this is what I'm going to do for this. Or do you kind of just start with an idea and then kind of allocate it, uh, to which project you think it's going to sort it the best or does it, does it kind of depend on um, what your needs are um, at the time? I guess it's more, it's more about writing in the interest of avoiding writer's block and like being in perpetual flow where I, you know, I'll, I will journal with the aim of, and the thought of like, if I keep journaling and I'm always writing, then I'm always writing lyrics. And, you know, anytime that I'm working on a song, I'll have some, a notebook that I can open and there'll be words in it that I can try to draw lyrics from, you know, if I'm not feeling expired yeah. or, or, or whatever. So similarly, like I, I want to always be writing songs. So no matter what life circumstances happening with whatever is going on with the band or or another avenue of playing with Adam or Mark with Devouring Mother stuff, if that comes up, then I'm ready for that. So it's not like just, oh, this has to be an Against Me songs. It's just like, I want to write songs and always have songs in my pocket so that I can use them for wherever makes sense, you know? I 100% know what you mean. And I think, um, you know, I can only speak for myself personally, but I feel like my optimism and my positive outlook on life is intrinsically connected to how my, how many new songs I have in my pocket that I feel good about where you kind of yes. feel like, you know, it's going to be a bright future because I got this one about, uh, uh, whatever, like, you know, you, that's, that's kind of how, at least, um, at least I, per, I personally feel. So I really empathize with you about that, about, it's just, it's just a, uh, a, a process of just trying to keep, just make as much as you can that you really believe in, I guess, uh, with the time that you have. I really genuinely believe like you're only as good as the last song you wrote. And I also tend to get in, if I like leave too long between writing, like I get into the mindset of like, oh, I'll never write again. I've lost it. I don't know how to do this. So like, I don't want to fall into that. So it's just keep writing, keep writing, keep writing and don't think about it. And I like that more of like, you know, of, of then just like, as opposed to booking the time in the studio and then being under a deadline to come up with stuff to write to just more like realize like, Oh, I've got a bunch of stuff. I could book time right now and I could go in and make something and then, you know, seeing what happens from it. Um, I like that approach. It's, it's fun. Have you, have you, um, had time, uh, times in your career, uh, particularly with against me where you didn't have 
a ton of, of material, but you guys went into a studio with the intention of just kind of writing in the studio and how did that work out for you? If you did do that. Yeah. To a, a couple of different variations of that respect. Like we, we definitely had record commitments where like we were set to go into the studio, had a release date and everything and had kind of bluffed our way into it where we're like, we didn't have the songs, you know? Uh, but, that, <laughs> but that being said, like there, there was shorter studio time. So we weren't really writing in the studio. We did like, we just crammed it all at the last minute, like wrote, you know, came up with a bunch of stuff and, you know, 25 minute long records that are barely full links, really like extending the space in between the songs to stretch it. Uh, but then at the same time, we've also, we've, with, with the setup we've had for the past couple records, we had the luxury of, of kind of taking our time because it wasn't necessarily billed by the hour. Like at Mark, you know, Mark who tour manages against me and who plays bass at Devouring yeah. Mothers. We that kind of his studio in Michigan kind of became our de facto home base since we were all spread out. Like I have a spot here in Chicago, but there, you know, because there was lodging, everyone flies in, everyone stays there, and then everyone wakes up and we play music all day. Um, because it wasn't like being billed by an hourly rate at a studio, it gave us the like option. And because we were coming there in between tours, it was like you have forever in the studio now. You can spend a year working on this record in and out of the studio. Um, and that, like, we ran into, like, that That became obstacles of its own. Like, the, the pressure, for some of us, it being easy in the moment to come up with stuff of, like, it, you know, you, you get four people in a room, three people, however many, and you're all looking at each other like, okay, come up with something. You know, like, it's not as easy as that all the time, yeah. you know? And that's why, like I was saying with the yeah. lyrics, it's like, I always want to have lyrics. I always want to have something. I always want to record things. So if I am in those situations, I can be like, I have an idea that we could build on, you know? Um, but the, yeah, 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 both situations. So on, on that note, I'd, I'd love to can kind of keep going down the, uh, the path of kind of, of writing tendencies. Um, and one of the questions that I had for you in terms of, um, your general process, and I know things kind of for a lot of people evolve over time, but are you, like a, a chords and lyrics at the same time kind of person, or do you like coming up with a melody for your vocals and then working on um, kind of filling in the gaps with lyrics as you go? Are you a tinkerer or do you try and mandate yourself to try and get as much done uh, with the, imp like the, with the first kind of burst of inspiration that you have for something, or do you just tinker with something until you get basically ripped off it? Okay. I, I tend to write lyrics first. Every once in a while, I will get like, um, every once in a while, like a melody will come to me from wherever. I'll, like I'll, I'll dream songs sometimes and like wake up with like, oh, I've got this, like I, I, I'll put words to it later, but it's a melody and I'll record it. Sometimes that happens, but I tend to write s lyrics first. And my thinking with that is that you're limited by your, by chords. Like there are only so many chords. You're not going to invent any new chords. It's your songs either going to be G D C or a B, you know, fucking F sharp, whatever. Like it, it's all been done before. Um, so I, I like, I want to, I want to set up the furniture first and then build the room around it as opposed to building the room and then setting up the furniture in it. That's my general approach with lyrics. But I used to be a purist of it has to be like in the moment. It had to be what came to me then. It all has to work and I don't want to change anything. And eventually I became more of a tinkerer 
where I realized it really is only about the cadence and the amount of syllables and like you could fit anything into a different line in in a in a verse or in a chorus. Um, and once I kind of realized that, like I just wasn't thinking that way when I was younger. Um, I've, I've become more liberal with it, and I, I I'm glad to have become more able to uh, kill my darlings, if you will, you know, like realizing that nothing should be so precious. It's all about serving the song. Um, but, you know, because I'll, I'll get trapped in the mindset of feeling like, oh, like I'm not doing really anything interesting right now with the guitar, you know, like, but I got a kind of vocal pattern here. And then if I keep working on that, inevitably, even if it's the most generic chord pattern or whatever, I know that I can get it to a place where it is unique, that it doesn't have to be where it starts from. Because a lot of time it's that initial like, oh, it's just not brilliant right away that will kill a lot of things that could have been really good eventually if you had worked on it. Yes, I know exactly what you're saying. And it's funny because, I mean, personally for me, when I have my fondest memories of uh, creative moments where you feel like you're just an antenna where you almost didn't feel like you did it. Like you just kind of transmitted it. The, the, always the times where I came up with something, the easiest are my happiest memories and the things that I had to just like go crazy over and toss and turn at night, trying to think of how to make the bridge work better. I always, am like, yeah, fuck that song. But those are, I mean, typically have been the more, uh, important songs for uh, our our humble little catalog, but it's funny because, as I said, like the ones that I that are the easiest that cause the less the least amount of stress are uh, typically my favorite. Looking back, but as you said, like when you when 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 you have a tinkering relationship with things, it's it it it's all about the end product rather than trying to be too precious about the initial inspiration and. Um, I don't know the whole the whole thing. All, all of writing is madness to some extent. I think to try and just get get things down and get something out of yourself that didn't exist before. I've been lucky though that I've had a a long perspective. Or I've, I've I've been doing this a, a while and and been able to have seen it differently. Where sometimes those songs that will be really belabored, you know, and and you'll spend a lot of time on. Um, like I've had my relationship change with them over periods of time. You know, it all, like it always surprises me where there's you're writing a record and you're like, these are the good songs. I know these are the good songs and I know these are the songs that aren't that great, but they're good for the record, you know, and it's fine. But like, realistically, we're not going to play it that much live, you know. But then flash forward 10 years, this random song that was really belabored, you felt like was really stale, didn't like it on the record, your fan base hated it and initially 10 years later, I found myself up there on stage being like, and here's this song, you know, and, and everyone really liking it and myself liking it and having come full circle on it and being like, oh, yeah. it really was worth all the work, you know, like the mountain song, for instance, is one of the uh, off of stay alive is like one of the first songs I wrote for the record. And I wrote that song. I was like, well, that was a good exercise. That's a throwaway song. Let's move on to something that's not such a sad, sad sack, sack of shit of a song. Like, you know, just like, Jesus Christ, get over yourself. And like, didn't think about it ever again, but then kept coming back to it, you know, and then was like, you know what? I actually think I like that song two years later, you know, um, it, it, it always surprises you. That's uh, I think that's, that's a very good point that you, that you illustrated that, you know, when the more time that you have um, with, with this craft, the more you can kind of 
Uh, I mean, the more time there is to kind of change your relationship with things that you've done in the past. And I think that in my, in my, uh, you know, I guess I've been working on, I've been working on songs personally for like 14 years or so, but at first I was so precious about everything and be like, it has to be like this and it has to be like that. But the more time that goes by, um, uh, the more you kind of soften and or I find myself softening in my approach towards the whole thing and, and more towards, uh, um, I just, I just want to get the thing done and be as happy as I can about it and then move on and not make up my mind how I totally feel about it in the moment and just let that kind of unfold as time goes by. I've, uh, I've, I've, I, as I said, I used to be very dogmatic with these things and it prevented me from getting stuff done. Um, but, uh, you know, as you said, like kind of moving towards a more tinkerer oriented, and I think it's just also just a patience that you have to, that we all learn at our own pace to, to not try and drill something into the ground before it's done and give something it's time to mature if it, if it requires more work and time. It's, it's funny. Um, I was thinking about this, like uh, a related thing the other day, actually, where um, having recently with Against Me, some of the last shows we did were um, full album shows where we went back and did like two albums each night in two cities and uh, for each stop. Um, and it's interesting where like with what you're saying, like in some ways I have become more dogmatic and more just like it has to be written. The song has to be written. Nothing is going to be luck or happenstance ever. This just happened in the studio or playing live in the moment um, where, you know, when you're younger, it's easier to have those moments. I think a lot of the time because you're playing so tight because you've been touring so much or you've been, you know, playing so many shows and the songs kind of write themselves that way of like, you know, instinctively when I'm playing live, this is this weird thing I do in this moment right here, you know, that kind of I happened into and it's cool. And there's, and your songs are built in that way. And then when you get out of the habit of playing those songs, if you ever have to come back to those type of songs, like you can't figure them out the same way because you didn't actually write anything. It was all these moments that just happened that were captured and you can't recreate those moments. So when you go back to try, you'd be faking it if you tried to recreate it, you know, like even if you knew what you did, but so you go back and you try like to learn them and you realize you can't. Whereas the songs that you dogmatically and pragmatically were like, this is how the strumming pattern is in the verse. And this is exactly what the BPM is, you know, like, those songs you realize like 20 years from now, I will be able to go back and learn the song because it was written. It exists. It was written completely methodically thought out. Um, I don't know. There's something to be said for both, but it's interesting. When you think back on some of those songs uh, from your earlier career that you were writing with the band that were more a reflection of just um, your instincts rather than like a consciously uh, written thing that, you you when you when you made those songs that they were uh they were a reflection of touring all the time and being really tight all together and trying to get back in that mindset is is tougher um because they were just sure it's not not only just the mindset but just like even the nature of the approach you know of like I guess when you're starting out, you're on such a wing and a prayer in so many ways of just like, let's just get together. Let's just get in that practice space. We're going to make it work. You know, like <laughs> I've got this idea, let's make it work, you know? And, um, 
the things that happen when they're really good, you almost don't know how to explain it. Like when I look at even the structure of some of like the early against me songs, I'm like, what, what, what is that structure? You know, I like, I didn't, I wasn't plotting it out. Like, uh, you know, intro verse, um, chorus, pre-chorus then, you know, like it, it wasn't in that way. It was just all lucky, lucky happenstance things that it, you can take and you can look at it and be like, well, that's actually your chorus there, but it wasn't thought out that way. Um, and so in those ways I've changed, I guess. Yeah. But it's, um, it's not genuine to go back and try to fake it and do it that way again, just cause that was the time and the place, you know? I see what you're saying. Um, can I ask you a question about one of your, uh, songs in particular? I've just been curious. Yeah, about, of course. Uh, over, over, over the, over the years. Um, can you talk about, uh, the song black me out and how it, did it, did it begin as the riff or did you follow, uh, the, the kind of the vocal pattern a little bit and make the riff or can you talk about how that song came to be? That, that song came riff first. Yes. Um, I wrote it at the time I was living in St. Augustine, Florida. I had a back porch and just like a table and chairs there that I would sit on in the mornings and the evenings and, and just play my guitar. Um, and, the yeah just like i don't know that that riff is sort of similar in ways to the riff from the song born on the fm waves in the heart which is on the new wave album um they're they're kind of they the way they're played uh is just like in similar ranges in, in on the fretboard or whatever and i think i stumbled it into their from there somehow as like just a finger exercise I was doing, but it, it was the riff first and then, and the feelings emotionally that were boiling inside of me. <laughs> and then, and then it all came together because like chord wise, it's, that's an, you know, it's a simple song. It's just E to B A, you know, like there's nothing to it. Um, but the riff makes the song special. Well, I have to say that, um, you know, when, when we, uh, when we got to tour with you guys, I was really, really, uh, very familiar with uh, the new wave stuff and before, but I hadn't um, heard many of your more recent catalog or much of it. And I have to say that that was the song that uh, uh, it was, it was just magical every single night in terms of um, I felt like I was seeing the replacements on the, on their best night every single night when you guys played that song. <laughs> it's so and Willard does the the drum lot, ah, so I can't I, that, that big <laughs> snare machine gun Fugazi thing at the end. Um, I know that this isn't like proper structure for a, for an interview, but I just I had to get that off my chest. I, I, appreciate I think it. about that Thank all you. of the time. Um, th that song and that was a really good tour, by the way. I miss that tour. I think about that tour often. That I, was one I of really my favorite tours it. that we ever did, and uh, I think. Uh, the uh, I, I often think back. Uh, I think you guys are uh, professionals at killing downtime. I think that was one of the most impressive uh, aspects of your band uh, with the, uh, <laughs> the the claw that you guys. Uh, that I guess did you purchase that somewhere on the west coast? That uh, that Wolverine claw. Uh, oh yeah, I still have it. It's in the other room. Um, yeah, yeah, that was fun for slicing, slicing cans. Slicing can. It, it began as fruit in the parking lot of an Olive Garden, and escalated to cans <laughs> of Guinness, uh, I believe. Uh, but um, yeah, well, that was a good one. And what did your what did your bus driver say about that claw? Was it uh, uh, damn near died? 
<laughs> damn, damn near dead. Yeah. Wow. Good memory. Wow. That, that might've forever escaped from my head. And you not just brought that back. Yeah. Uh-huh. I, I had left it out on the stairs, I guess, or something like that. Um, I don't know. I'd always wanted one of those though, you know, a Wolverine claw. Like if you have the chance to own your own Wolverine claw, if you see one in a pawn shop window, like I feel like it's good life advice that you should buy it. You, know? you should definitely pick that up. Yeah. <laughs> I also remember, I think it was where, um, where, where was, uh, where was Jim Ward's club? Is that somewhere in Texas that we played? Yeah. Is it El Paso? El Paso. Yeah. And we went to that store full of like curiosities. It was almost like a, <laughs> like a, I don't know. It was one of the weirdest, you could buy a mummy at that store, but I remember yeah. going to that store with you guys. And that was probably the, the weirdest <laughs> store I've ever been in my life. But, um, I regret not getting the mummy. Really. Yeah. <laughs> a sound investment, I think. Uh, you're definitely gonna. I miss so many. I miss things like this, though. You know, like you I miss. Uh, I miss traveling. I miss going into weird, weird stores, or I don't know, having fun experiences. You know, that was that was something that I also kind of wanted to to talk to you about. Like, how has I mean, as somebody that has toured the world and especially the United States as much as you have. What kind of perspectives have you kind of uh, afforded yourself from this vantage point of being not able to do that stuff? Has it changed uh, your relationship with touring and uh, how, the way you think a bit about it in general? I guess like, you know, for better or for worse, the way it lined up with my life um, as like a survival instinct, it kind of kicked in where I was like, I need to think about this differently. I don't want to think about this like that I really want to be out on tour right now and I can't be because that will drive me insane. And that is the truth of it. Like I do really want to be out on tour right now. I wish I could be. I wish we all could be. But as opposed to that, like thinking about it more like, well, this is just that period of time in my, my life and my career where I don't tour, <laughs> like where, where, you know, like how like Dylan took seven years off the road after a motorcycle accident or something like that, you know, and then like you come back later or whatever, like, yeah, I, I've, I've tried to think about it in that mindset because it's not, um, it's not like, you know, it's not preconceived. It's not, I didn't plot this, that there'd be a global pandemic and then I would stop touring. I'm just trying to lean into it in that way of like, and, you know, eventually I'll get back on the road, but it, like, it'll be more like a reunion then, or like, uh, like, you know, yeah. um, not just this weird two year limbo or one year limbo or whatever, where we just didn't tour. And I don't know, but I, I don't know. I try not to think about things like, you know, like, how's it going to change or what's it all mean or anything like that. And I do genuinely think that like, if, if our job is, you know, like if we're artists and being an artist is being creative, then it's up to you to creatively think of a way to make this work, you know? Um, but, but yeah, I don't know. I think that's a very, very good way of looking at it. I think that there's a lot of, um, there's been a lot of despair obviously this year, uh, for a variety of reasons. And I think, but the thing that has kind of been the most, um, strange and disappointing to me, I think is, um, the amount of, uh, artists that I know personally that have kind of just thrown up their hands and said, well, I'm not really interested in, um, finding a way to make this work this year. I'm just going to wait until I can get back on the road to, to make something happen, which I just, um, 
It's nice to hear. Uh, I think that's dangerous. I think so. Sorry, too. I sorry to interrupt. No, no, no. Because I, I think that what will happen then is that once we can all tour again, you know, you have to think about the way that's going to work. And that's why, like, specifically even with doing Stay Alive, where I was like, I want to put this out now. I don't want to wait to try to time it to where, like, okay, touring's about to open up. We'll put out a record and then we'll, like, we'll go on tour immediately. Just, like, because everyone's going to be fucking doing that. And then you're just going to, it's going to flood, you know, like, and, and it'll be, like, I don't know. It, it, we need to be strategic about like starting it back up again about how we do things, in my opinion. I agree. And I think that there's going to be uh, – I think that some people have viewed this uh, this time this year as like a like pushing pause on their career. But I just – you know, given that nothing in the universe has like an actual pause button um, and not treating this as just like time – um, that is passing, uh, I think is, is a little bit foolish. So that's when, when I saw you putting out that record, uh, I was very happy to see, um, it's, it's, uh, it makes me very happy to see people treating this year, like, um, like a, like a, like a year, you know, like that things have to happen and it's not just about, okay, well, we're going to batten down the hatches and see, like, we'll see when it's over. It's, it's, that's just not the way time or life works. And I think you're very right that there's going to be some interesting supply and demand, uh, issues with, uh, live music and music in general when, um, when this situation does, uh, resolve in, in whatever way it does resolve. Um, I mean, think about like Europe alone, which we've toured together, even pre pandemic, my my European booking agent was booking as far as November tw- 2021. So this was like in wow. January. They were already talking about November 2021. So coming out of this, like, you know, just the line of bands trying to get into clubs even will be insane. But um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I view it also as like that there's a split of that, like, uh, you know, we do two things. We're, we're touring musicians and we're performers, live performers. Right. But also like we're songwriters and the songwriter recording artist part of it, like has not been affected at all by the pandemic. And that's still just as valid of part of your job, if not a more important part of your job, um, to just like work on your songs, just work on songwriting right now. Nothing about what has happened in the world has affected your ability to do that right now. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I, it's funny, like, because I see so many people who I know who are touring friends and stuff where it's like during this time, they're like, I got a dog. And I'm like, oh, wow. What are you doing? What are you going to do once it's time to tour again? You know? <laughs> a short term solution. Yes. <laughs> That's yeah, there is a that is a uh, that is an interesting aspect of this time too. Is is people? Um, I, I I definitely see some some aspects of uh, of short term solutions to uh, to the thing. And I, I, call me a, call me a, call me an eternal optimist, but I do think that this is going to resolve um, sooner when than when the doom and gloom people think uh, it will. I have no idea what that means. I I just try not to think of the whole, about the whole big picture thing too much because of how. Uh, how little control uh, I have over that. I'm, uh, as I said, I, I've been trying to uh, just busy myself with, um, I think, similar things to what you've uh, you've you've tried to do, which is just try and create as much stuff as you can. Because I think that um, 
a lot of people, including myself, who spend most of their year touring traditionally, entertain themselves in the van with fantasies about all the stuff that they're going to do when they get home, and then they don't ever do it. <laughs> and so now, is the, as, as we kind of spoke about earlier, this is kind of the, the year to put up or shut up on all your hobbies if you're a road dog, um, all of your projects. Uh-huh. Um, so I've learned to cook. There you go. That's a huge one though. I, for years, I was just, right. I was like, I would walk, uh, you know, me and, and the band, me and, me and, uh, and uh, Kyle and Ross all lived together in a house uh, uh, up until a few months ago. And we would just walk across the street to the variety store and get a pizza and walk. Like that was, that was pretty much every day, you know? Uh, and so Kyle was the first one to really bloom as a, as a cook and he's doing very well. Um, but, um, I've, uh, I've been inspired by Kyle's, uh, culinary kick. So working on that too. What, what do you, what are you, uh, what do you like to cook these days? What are you, uh, what are you into? Well, I got, I do this like a uh, delivery service thing called purple carrot and they like drop off a box of ingredients with recipes in it. Oh, wow. And it's funny. Cause like I've been doing it since the beginning of the pandemic. Cause uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a parent. I have an 11 year old. Um, I do month on month off parenting. But um, like I'm just historically a terrible cook when it, as, as a parent and like being home all the time now, I'm like, all right, I just need to get better at this. I need to offer us more variety of what we're eating. So there, it's always different meals every week. Um, but it's funny because I took like a month off where I was like, okay, I think I got it. I've been doing it for like six or seven months now. I should be good. But then that month off, it was straight up back to baked potatoes and mac and cheese and shit like that. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, nope, I need <laughs> yeah it's uh it's 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 an easy um it's an easy thing to kind of like get into for a little bit and then just kind of slide off of that's i find i have to i have to try and keep myself uh working on it because i'm just years of touring have not put me in the best um habits of going out and buying groceries like i'll buy groceries and be like i'm gonna make some healthy food this week and then a lot of it just kind of rots in the fridge. And then I'm like, wait a second, I have to go back to the grocery store. This doesn't make any sense. Like, um, yeah, it's not a writer. Yeah, yeah. exactly. It's a, right. Like there's not just hummus when I get home. So, um, no, I feel you on that, but, um, I wanted to talk to you a little bit more about, um, about just kind of, uh, about this year and kind of how you're using it after you put out, um, stay alive. Have you, just gotten back into like a general headspace or just continued a general headspace of, of chipping away at material that can be used for devouring mothers and against me and maybe perhaps another solo record or did you, do you, do you take breaks when you're done or do you, do you just keep it going at this point? Well, well, usually like there's the cycle to it, you know, that of like, you, you record a record, right? And then there's three to four months in between when you finished with it and when it comes out. And in that period of time, you know, tours start getting announced, you start playing shows, you build up, you release the record, you go on tour, um, you know. So there's those periods of times in that kind of cycle where your brain just switches to a different mode where I'll like not be writing because I'm totally focused on doing all these other things. And then you get back into the to like the, okay, you know, I need to start working on songs again a couple months later. Um, but this time it's been different in that way where like, I, you know, after I finished, I was definitely like, well, I guess 
I guess I'll just start working on the next one, <laughs> you know? Um, but I did like all last month, I did press like five days a week for a fucking full month straight, not on the weekends, but I really kind of burnt myself out from it. Um, it's the first time I've ever done like nothing but press in that way where you didn't have the f fulfillment of at least playing a show to kind of like, you know, fill your soul back up, yeah. like, lift you back up. You can do it again the next day when it's just like press after press after press. And you're just like, fuck this. And it's all fucking zooms and shit like that. Um, it really ground me down. And then at the beginning of, you know, November, um, I, I fucking broke my foot. And I, so, uh, I've been in like a, a hole of depression for the past like week or two, just bummed out. Um, but getting back into it, you know? Yeah. Just putting it, uh, um, putting it, Kind of, there's nothing there's no better feeling though than as we kind of talked about earlier than having some kind of creative capital that you it's like i kind of i always i always feel like um it's like a it's like a if you're like a farmer and it's like a grain silo and even if there's just like a little bit of grain in it you're like yes i'm not gonna starve this winter you know it's like uh it's gonna be it's gonna be okay i just need to keep putting stuff in there and uh, it's well, really, like when you think about all the assets, and I hate to use terminology about this, but I like this, but I will. Um, when you think about all the assets you need for releasing a record, uh, whether that's like videos, uh, pictures, um, you know, the, the components of a record, the artwork for a record, you know, like all those things that need to be in place before a record can come out. Like there's just always so much work you can be doing. If you don't feel inspired in one area or you don't have the ability to do one area of what you do, whether that's like, oh, I can't make noise right now because of a neighbor or something. So I got to, you know, got to do something that's quiet. Um, like there's just always something you can be doing. And, um, in my opinion. And realistically, if you're a musician and if you're an artist and if you want to make a living doing this, like you need to hustle, you need to work your ass off. You need to be working all the time. You need to be working through the highs and the lows. You need to be working like, I, I don't know, just to survive, you know, I couldn't have said it better myself. And I, I think that there's, um, I think that there's a, there's, I, in general, there's obviously a, a greater conversation right now happening about that's really being highlighted by this pandemic about the importance of live music and its value and, you know, conversations around streaming and the, uh, you know, and how, and the fairness around that. But I think that the most important, the thing that I keep in mind is, is basically what you just said, uh, you know, that if you want to do anything creative, um, you've, you've basically constantly be got it. You have to constantly be working on some aspect of it. And as uncomfortable as a notion as it is, I think that just because you make art and that's how you kind of identify, um, what you do doesn't mean you have the right to make a living at it. And I think that's an uncomfortable thing that, um, I think that, you know, as I said, there's, it's, it's, it's part of a greater conversation, but as you said, you kind of always have to be hustling in some way to, to make your dream work rather than, um, there is no kind of like, you know, do a couple things here and then sit back and, and watch the money come in. It's, you've got to get out there and right. make it all happen. Right. You've got to, it's, and you've got to, um, it's, uh, 
Yeah, that's I, I I totally agree with you about that, and it's it's um that's the thing that I've kind of found to be the solace during this year for myself is, and it sounds like the same for you is to just kind of stay busy and focus on the attributes that I can affect rather than be focusing on the things that I can't control. A hundred percent. Well, I've got uh, I've got a couple more questions for you, and I really appreciate you again, you you being on uh, the podcast and uh, talking about uh, bashing out songs and uh, and the heck of a year that we're all having collectively. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about your influences because this is something that um, I haven't yet had uh, the, the the pleasure of delving into with you. Um, when we were on tour, um, it was when uh, Tom Petty passed away, and um, you did share your feelings about um, about how the uh, – I remember you were talking about the – was it the Dan Electro Traveling Wilburys guitar that you got? Was that your first guitar? Yeah, it wasn't a Dan Electro, but it was a Traveling okay. Wilburys uh, guitar. It was like I, – I think it was made by Epiphone or something like that, but it, it kind of looked like a Dan Electro, yeah. There, it was a unique guitar for sure. That was my first electric guitar technically, yes. And what was the first – do you remember like a first kind of moment that you like became aware of uh, and felt a real connection Um with rock and roll, was it on the radio or was it on the TV or, or what? It was the radio. It was, yeah, it was the radio first, you know, I mean, all my first musical memories are, are related to what my parents were listening to, you know? Um, and then growing up, uh, a military brat and living overseas, I wasn't as exposed to MTV as, as maybe other people were like, I didn't, MTV didn't come into my life until like the fifth grade, let's say. Um, and that was when like the visual component of rock and roll really kicked in. Um, if initially for me, it was all just like the, you know, um, listening to records on my own and stuff that I would discover through whatever trail I was picking up on at the time, you know? Yeah. And do you remember what artist, uh, kind of first, first really, um, put the wind in your sails about rock and roll. Was it, was it Tom Petty? Uh, you know, the first cassette I ever bought after I got my first Walkman was Def Leppard Hysteria. Nice. And Def Leppard led me into like, from Def Leppard, I jumped to bands like Bon Jovi and Guns N' Roses and Skid Row. And those were my first bands that I felt like I discovered on my own. And um, all my first cassette tapes and Guns N' Roses were the band that really connected with me. Like I really connected with Guns N' Roses. I remember, you know, third grade standing at my school bus stop, screaming the lyrics to Night Train at a girl I had the crush a crush on at the bus stop across the street. You know, and I had no idea what they meant by <laughs> Night Train. I didn't know that it was alcohol. I thought they were just on a train at night. You know, um, and then when CD players came out like 1990, 91 or whatever, uh, that was when I got my first one. And that with my first CD player, I was given a copy of full moon fever. And then I like my dad just gave it to me with the CD player. I have no idea if he was even that big of a fan, but, um, and then I, you know, it was my first CD. So I listened to the hell out of that CD and it's a great record. Um, and so that, that was like my first connection with Petty. 
Do you think there's something about Tom Petty and his music across his career that kind of keeps you listening as, and, and is there something that keeps you inspired as a songwriter? Um, the only reason why I ask is because like Tom Petty was capable of cranking out his best material or things that could be considered up in the top of his canon, even towards the very end of his life. And does do songwriters like that have an inspiration for you or a meaning for you? Um, seeing that kind of consistent quality can be achieved at any stage of any career. A hundred percent. Yeah. Especially like um, in considering myself like committed to doing this with my life, you know, um, at this point at 40 years old, um, I'm like, st- my birthday was two weeks ago and I'm really fixated on it. Like I'm Happy 40. Um, thank you. Uh, but at this point, like, you know, I'm, I'm going to be doing this for the rest of my life one way or the other. I've decided that. Right. Um, so in looking to inspiration from other artists, looking at artists who've had long sustained careers, you can find like, I don't know, you can find hope and solace in that because you can look at other artists and be like, okay, well, you know, if if things aren't going your way right then or like you're having a down point, you can look at their careers and be like, all right, well, they they had down moments too and they got through that. You know, they they came they came back around, look at how their songwriting changed in these ways and seeing the ways they like approached reinventing themselves and like um staying relevant like i'm just fascinated by that regardless of the medium of art not just with musicians you know visual artists photographers whatever um anybody who's made art their life um but so i you know like there's few artists that you can do that with in rock and roll that you know have really compelling output over their career and tom petty's definitely one of them you know so like looking at and, and, and I guess like that's speaking too to like songwriters. These are songwriters. Like um, Tom Petty was a songwriter. He wasn't somebody who had his material written for him. He wasn't just solely a performer, you know. Um, I'm fascinated by it because it, it, it's also like, as I was saying earlier, you know, like it's always the same chords. So it, how it's, it's fucking interesting to me thinking that like, look at what this guy has been doing for 20 years using G and C and D, you know, like the, how many petty songs use those chords and they're fucking insane. Like classic songs. They you know? are. That's inspiring. Beyond classic songs. I mean, it's that able to get more out of a song than, uh, I mean, uh, than, mo- than the Beatles were able to get out of throwing 12 chords into a song. Uh, a, a lot of the time, <laughs> I, I I share your love of, of of Tom Petty in that way, and I mean it 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 really was um, it really was your words on stage, uh, your tribute to Tom Petty that uh, made me really uh, take his uh, back catalog seriously and really delve into you know beyond the surface hits that everyone's aware of through FM radio. So I have I, I thank you very much for that. Um, right on. And also, I, I really, really um, one one other uh, artist that I really wanted to talk to you about um, was uh, was the replacements. And I was just I was just curious, um, what do what does that band mean to you? And uh, do you have any strong feelings about that band? Because I I know you you've covered them, and that, again, that's how I discovered the replacements was through your. Uh, Bastards of Young covers. So I was just curious if you would uh, delve a little into your uh, replacements relationship. I guess when it comes down to it, I really identify with Paul Westerberg. 
Um, and I say that in the way of the first replacement song I ever heard was Androgynous. And, you know, being 18 years old, hearing that song as a closeted transgender person who didn't have themselves figured out at all, to hear Paul Westerberg speak the exact emotions you I was feeling, I just connected. You know, I was like, how does this, how is this person describing this so accurately without knowing what this experience is, you know, like blew my mind, the, the talent of, of songwriting and, and emoting that is there and androgynous. Um, but then connecting with them further, you know, um, that kind of like, uh, I don't know that the attitude that Paul Westerberg has like, uh, and their approach to making art, the kind of like shooting yourself in the foot, <laughs> foot loser type attitude with it, you know, like self-defeating in a way, but also like, like I strive to his level of brilliance and I identify with some of those shortcomings that he has. But like, you know, if you look at like stay alive, my genuine approach to so the songs with the drum machines on there was like, was em emulating Paul Westerberg in a way where some of those great Paul Westerberg songs are like, you know, within your reach yes. stuff like that, yeah. where there, there's just this weird ass lo-fi drum machine that just is playing the loop through the whole thing, doing nothing special that the song was just obviously written to. And it was just brilliant then and there captured like that. You know, there's, there's something so special about those songs that like, sometimes you, you know, like, I don't know, sometimes you, you forget that, if it's right, it's just right. And just to go with it. And Westberg always reminds me of that in those moments. And that's, you know, what I was trying to do with stay alive was definitely inspired by him. And I've taken many leads from the replacements or, or him, uh, over, over the years. Um, and I just, I don't know. I think that he's a brilliant songwriter. I, and one of, one of the things that I also, I, I thought, um, and I, I mentioned it earlier, but, um, when when I was listening to uh, your uh, uh, your against me live record, there's moments where your voice sounds so when like has that perfect Westerberg growl to it, and just it makes me so happy. And that's why I you know I I really really love your band a lot, and a, a lot of it has to do with that. Um, as I said, that that I get the replacements feeling not in terms of like the complete self-sabotage and living in complete misery that the replacements did, but more of like the, uh, I, I've never been on a, on tour with a band where I, I felt the, a stronger feeling of now that is a proper rock and roll band. And I'm, uh, I, I really, mean that. so, so, so thank you for taking, thank you again for taking our, our rinky dink band out on tour. Cause that was a great time. Well, I feel the same way about your band, Luke. So that's just that. You know? Well, thank you. That's very kind of you to say. Um, I'll, I'll tell <laughs> Ross and Kyle. They'll be delighted. Um, I had a couple more questions about the replacements. Did you did you get around to reading um, Trouble Boys? I have not read it, no, uh, shamefully. Uh, and I've had a couple opportunities too. I believe I have it. Um, just for whatever reason, I haven't, I haven't jumped into it. You know? uh, highly recommended. Very, very sad story, but uh, I, I think you'll really enjoy it. it. It kind of provides some 
kind of context for the madness and uh you'd be it's harder to think of a band with more mythology around them uh they're a band's band in terms of the uh the madness and uh i think that uh it's the closest you'll get to, to some kind of rational explanation if there is such a thing for some of the stuff that that band did um i have like a couple i have a documentary this like bootleg documentary dvd on them that's just like all of their television performances and all these random European interviews and stuff that's really fascinating that you can watch and it kind of it, it tells their story, you know, one way or other. And I'm definitely hip to like a lot of the mythology around them. Um, and I don't know, I do grasp it anytime I can hear like some kind of story about them or whatever. And I did the other day, actually, I got that please to meet me. Uh uh, oh, re-release yeah. it's really nice like has a booklet in there all the pictures and stuff and you know like against me our, our second record as the eternal cowboy we recorded at ardent studios in oh, memphis tennessee because the replacements recorded um please to meet me there specifically like called the studio book that studio because that's where the recorded replacements recorded and they would tell us stories about the replacements we were there when we were there and how they would like when they were recording, they would like get drunk and throw up in their hands and throw it onto the walls. And I don't know, it's just like, crazy <laughs> stuff like that. <laughs> that is, uh, <laughs> yeah, I guess that's, that's par for the course for them. Yeah. My, <laughs> I think, uh, the last thing I'll say about the replacements is, and, uh, uh, the, the one story that always got me the most was the story about how after Bob was in the band and they were still trying to prove to themselves that they were like, that they were crazy and they kind of ratcheted up their insanity to try and prove to themselves that they still had that quality. Uh, they, I think it was when they were opening for Tom Petty in 89, they rent their, uh, management rented them a, um, an RV and uh, on the first day, uh, they while the thing was driving, they got fucking hammered and they they ripped out all the furniture and threw it out the window while they were driving on the highway and like ripped out the roof yeah. and knocked like so basically there it was just it was just a shell with no walls or a roof anymore. And then it started to <laughs> rain and they just sat there in the broken glass like miserable uh, as this thing went down the highway into Florida, um, which is I just I for some reason, I just love that uh, that visual. It's very uh it's it's uh it's a very powerful visual of the replacements for me but uh yes i would recommend that the, the, the dvd that i was telling you about uh my favorite interview with them on it uh took place somewhere in italy in like the 80s and they're very clearly it's very clearly the morning and they're very clearly super, super hungover. And the night before, they've all shaved off their eyebrows. So they're like trying to give this really serious interview with a reporter where there's like an obvious language barrier. You know, it's a little stilted and you've done European interviews, I'm sure, similarly. Um, and but they're just like trying their best to hold it together and keep it serious, but they've got no eyebrows the whole time. And it's incredible. <laughs> very hard to keep it serious when you don't have eyebrows. Yeah. That, that, uh, that reminds me of, um, um, there was, uh, I saw this thing about, uh, somebody doing an impression of what a German, uh, interviewer is like. It's, it's typically like they kind of put the microphone up to you and they say after, and this is after you've played, they're like, you know, I, I did not very uh, much so like the uh, the first and the seventh song. They were of uh, low quality, but 
I, I, I somewhat like the seven, uh, the eighth and ninth song. They were they were okay. What what do you have to say to this? Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh my god, uh, I gotta I gotta read this to you because like don't get me wrong, um, I fucking love Germany. Of course, I love touring in Germany. It's my favorite. Um, place but sometimes yes the interviews are like this and i want to i want to read i did an interview literally last night a german interview literally last night and this is a question from it as an artist these songs were meant to sound different isn't it a great feeling to hear them in these unusual shapes <laughs> i'm like i'm sitting here i'm like what do you hear them in shapes what are we what yeah. <laughs> are you did google translate uh, yeah yeah that anyway that is i hope that doesn't come back to bite me in the ass no, i answered no. the question but it was just again it, it's like these questions it, it's, it's that sometimes the question isn't a question you know like your first song your first record is great this new record is shit why is this yeah <laughs> and you're just like i don't fucking know you're yeah. telling me you're telling me your opinion it's not a question that's not a know? question that's, there's there's always lots to unpack in those interviews and yeah. and uh decide what you want to address and decide which what you want to take on the chin and then just keep moving forward you know <laughs> but uh i couldn't agree more with you on that too um so I, I have a couple last questions for you. Um, and again, I just want to say thank you so much for taking the time uh, to, to be on uh, the podcast. Um, so I just wanted to ask generally, generally speaking, um, you know, you've got to rub shoulders with a lot of uh, iconic people and uh, a lot of, you know, extremely just straight up famous people. Are there any people that you've felt a genuine uh, amount of uh, or degree of uh, being starstruck or or um, it, have you kind of developed a bit of a, 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 a thicker skin towards these situations? I get starstruck still really easily. And there's certain people that no matter how many interactions I've had with them, I can't get past it. Um, you know, we toured extensively with Green Day, but any interaction I have with Green Day, I am just like, deer in headlights like you're billy joe armstrong you're trey cool you're fucking mike turn you know like blows my mind i cannot get past that same with like the foo fighters anytime i've talked to dave girl i cannot get past the fact that he's dave girl just like you know i played uh i played eddie vetter's ohana festival uh a year or two ago and after the set, there's Eddie Vedder, and he's standing there talk, talking to Brendan Canty from Fugazi. And like, clearly, it's my moment to go up and talk to Eddie Vedder and Brendan, you know. And I've talked to Brendan a bunch. Brendan, I can talk to, um, even though I'm still starstruck. But I just, I couldn't. I couldn't go up and talk to Eddie Vedder. What business do I have to be talking yeah. to fucking Eddie Vedder? Um, like all that shit. I yeah, I still get that those moments. If like anytime I've ever seen anybody from Guns N' Roses, I freak out. Um, and I'm just like fascinated. Like we played a festival one time with Velvet Revolver. And I remember after the set, like Duff was there and I'm standing next to Duff and he has on like a Jansport backpack because he played the show. He has his stuff in the backpack. He's probably leaving to go home now. But I was just so fascinated like that. Wow. Duff McKagan wears Jansport backpacks. <laughs> just blown away. Um, <laughs> a little note of it. Yeah. Yeah. So I still very much get starstruck, but, and you know, like fat Mike also someone who I, you know, perpetually starstruck by, although the last time I hung out with him, I was able to get past that a little bit. And I felt like, 
okay, maybe like this is a little bit of human connection here. And it's not just like my teenage heroes, you yeah. know, uh, but um, yeah. That's, that, that's, uh, it's, it's, it's great to still have that kind of connection with, um, you know, the, your heroes of rock and roll and you know, the kind of mythology that we absorb rock and roll through and still be able to view these, uh, these, uh, these artists and people as, as still like, Oh my God, it's you. Uh, we, uh, we played a festival with the Foo Fighters last year and, um, and, uh, we uh i was we were watching the band uh live i think they call it live uh play um yeah. i i i just i didn't know who they were but i recognized their songs that i heard on the radio a million times but at the side of the stage was uh dave Grohl and taylor hawkins and we kind of intercepted dave Grohl. i'm like dave Grohl, i just want to say love uh love your body work and ross said to dave Grohl. Uh, hey Dave, remember the time you went like this? That was sick. <laughs> Which is my favorite to like Ross Roll. Yeah, that's uh that's a good one. You got to give it to Ross. That's incredible. Yeah. Bruce Springsteen also I get incredibly like uh I can't handle my shit around Bruce Springsteen. I actually ran from Bruce Springsteen last time um I had any kind of interaction with him. I like <laughs> dodged Springsteen and escaped from my dressing room before he could come and find me. Um I was so freaked out by it, but yeah. Was it just to kind of like <laughs> to not open yourself up to like in like a, an embarrassing moment or anything like that or was it to just tr just try and Bookend. Yeah, kind of, sort of. It was like after I had come out and Springsteen was at a festival and he was coming back to say, hey, and I realized that it was going to be some kind of like, congratulations, you know, you've come out like a, a genuine moment. Um, and appreciated, you know, don't get me wrong, but I was like, I can't, I just can't have that moment with Bruce Springsteen. I can't have Bruce Springsteen congratulate me on becoming a woman. Like, I just don't want to do it. <laughs> so, um, I just like bolted and hid, you know, like, and, and did not talk to Springsteen when he was coming to find me. <laughs> well, I think, uh, you might be one of the only human beings alive that can say that sentence. <laughs> that's, uh, that's pretty incredible um yeah is there anybody is there anybody that you um that uh has like has significantly surprised you in terms of their demeanor in terms of your heroes or has everybody been super cool and super gracious the entire time cindy lopper was intense uh cindy lopper was intense for sure uh but i guess i didn't really know what to expect from that situation so it wasn't surprise um, but I was, I was surprised that she was as present as she was, you know, and it was like a real, like we had a rapport, we hung out for a second, we worked on songs together. Um, Miley Cyrus blew my mind. Uh, I thought I was really impressed by her and that she was really genuinely cool as far as like, I could never say any criticism about her cause she just like, I don't know, she she invited me over to her house, you know, like I hung out at her house. We smoked weed together. We jammed in her backyard. It wasn't like there was no like construct about it. You know, it wasn't a fake situation. It was just very, uh, it was real. And I was like, this person doesn't know me. They flew me out here. They're being really a great host. Thank you. You know, I was surprised by that, um, for sure. And John Cameron Mitchell, uh, I was surprised by him. He was great. I, uh, had a, 
an excellent night with John Cameron Mitchell in Spain one time that blew my mind. But um, yeah, I've been lucky. I've had a, a lot of good run-ins. <laughs> that is awesome. And uh, I had to ask uh, w- one more one question on the Miley Cyrus subject. Uh, was was uh, was Billy Ray around, or was it just was it just Miley? It was just Miley. It wasn't like her her mom and dad weren't there. None of her like brothers or sisters or anything like that. Her crew were there and her like manager and stuff like that, you know. Um, and then Joan was there, Joan Jett and like yes. Joan's crew and everybody like that. And Adam was there from from my band, you know. Um, so there was like a lot of people there. But um, yeah, not her family. Is is uh, so and, and you guys covered Androgynous, right? Yeah, we did Androgynous. And then uh, we did uh, the my song True Trans Soul Rebel together as well. Hell yeah. And is and is uh, is Miley Cyrus a replacements fan? I guess I'd. Didn't we didn't really talk about it? I don't know. <laughs> Quite possibly, we're gonna have to. That's Quite possibly. That's a, that's a question for the universe. But uh, I was just I was yeah. genuinely genuinely curious about that. So I'm glad you broached the subject and not me. But um, <laughs> Laura, I don't have much left in terms of pre prepared questions, and I appreciate uh, your time so much. Um, the last thing I'd I'd like to ask is just a bit of a more open ended question, but. Uh, What's next for you, the, the rest uh, remaining this year? I kind of been wishing that, you know how there's like those two weeks around Christmas time that are forever ingrained in you from like school years of like, well, this is the break. This is when nothing happens. It's totally acceptable to just like watch TV. I kind of want that to start right now. Yeah. Um, this year has been long, you know, like I'm tired and having a broken foot and being immobile, I'm just like, I just don't feel very motivated right now. And I kind of like those natural resets that occur, like, okay, you know, new year coming up. Sometimes I'll, I'll like give myself extended breaks like that of like, once the new year starts, then I'm like, then I'm committed to it. This is my schedule. I'm going, you know, like we're going to start work on the new record. Um, so I'm kind of waiting for that reset right now, but yeah, I mean, just like working on songs, um, trying to figure out, I don't know, trying to navigate the, like the world of like, I guess all we do now is live stream. So how acceptable is it? You know, how often can you acceptably live stream a show (laughs) just to to play a show, you know? And given how often you can do that, when can I schedule the next one? You know, so trying to think about what's my year next year um, and how, how, what am I doing? (laughs) What am I doing with my life? It's strange. It's like really weird. Um, uh, You know, like I'm just pretty alone here in Chicago and feeling like you're drifting in this void and feeling like, okay, well, this is what happens in the event there's a global pandemic. And knowing this now, I do have faith that we'll come out of it. But should I ever get stuck in a situation like this again, how do I want to be prepared for that? And what do I want to make different in my life? Mm. Um, I feel like this is that eye-opening moment, you know, (laughs) (laughs) of realizing you know, yeah, yeah. And, and I'm, I'm realizing like certain ways, like, okay, this is the results of what your life becomes if you spent 20 years on the road, you know, like how many things fall away and like what you're left with in a type of way yeah. where I'm like, all right, uh, going forward, I need to, I need to figure things out accordingly. Word. I think I, I, I feel the exact same way, like kind of coming home 
to this whole situation and realizing that I don't really have much in the way of like home skills. Uh, my entire uh, yeah. life has been built around <laughs> doing what I need to do to get back in the van. And uh, this is uh, right. But it was so, but then it's a balance of like working on those home skills while at the same time, not neglecting your skills as a musician or an artist or whatever, to make sure that they stay practiced or whatever. Um, that, that, that's the balance you need to strike, you know? So still doing vocal warmups I find is important. Things like that. You yeah. Know? <laughs> still, uh, still making sure that you can do your, your screams, even if there's no one, uh, no one to hear them, but, uh, <laughs> got it. Well, what's the line at uh, the Harry Nilsson line? He said, keep your powder dry or something like that. Uh, one of his, one of his, I like that. I like Nelson. Yeah. Um, and uh, my final question is: uh, Do you have any advice to the uh, to the people out there, or uh, uh, anybody, everybody else that's going through this entire thing um, and trying to make a go of uh, this strange year? Any any advice to share with the uh, the kids of the world? Just you know, I don't know. If you're surviving, you're surviving. That's all that's really important right now, right? Um, I don't know about advice. <laughs> Try to stay focused. Uh, do what makes you happy, right? Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, well, again, I'd like to thank you, Laura, for being on the podcast. Thank you so much for your time. And uh, it was great to uh, reminisce about a couple uh, touring memories together. And um, and uh, I appreciate you uh, pulling back the curtain a little bit on your process. It was very, I always love talking about writing. And uh, again, you've got a wonderful, awesome new record called Stay Alive. Everybody check it out uh, wherever you listen to music. And uh, thanks again, Laura. I will. Uh, My pleasure. I will see you soon. So, uh, just just so you know, I don't think we can. If you you can't close your window just quite yet, because the thing has to uh, finish uploading. But I'm going to stop recording now. All right. <laughs> <laughs>